We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Hello everyone. It's Advent. Hooray! Um, Who had some chocolate this morning? Good. Before breakfast. My three-year-old this morning asked me for Christmas dinner for breakfast, so it's going to be a long month for us. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about something that has been kind of on my mind probably for the last six months, Um, and it really seems to tie into the stuff that um, Daniel brought last week and Jeremy before that around where we get our source, where our kind of core is, what is our identity, and coming back and reminding ourselves of that because there's so much around us that causes us to forget. And I think it's one of the one of Satan's kind of top tools is, is trying to tell us we're someone that we're not. Um, and the question of who am I, why am I important, why am I here, is kind of at the, is at the heart of humanity, isn't it? If you look in kind of philosophy over thousands of years, that's the question people are grappling with. And it's a bit of a rabbit hole. Like when I started researching for this talk and sort of thinking, right, let's define identity, I realised you can't. <laughs> it's just everyone has a different idea on what it means. So instead of defining it, I want to talk about some of the kind of connotations or associations that we have around identity, um, particularly in our society today. Um, So there's the idea that your identity is the proof of your genuineness, you know, like your passport or your driving license. It shows who you are, and there's this kind of sense of, "I'm, I'm really me, and you can't question that. There's the idea of self-definition, that you can't tell me who I am, I decide who I am. But in conflict with that, it's also the idea that our identity is about belonging. We desperately want to belong to a group of people who think like us, who we, who feel, ooh, sorry, who, feel um, can, who we feel connected to. And I think that that can leave us, this conflict between... I, I want to be who I want to be, but I also desperately want to belong, can leave us in conflict and very confused. And I think we can see, kind of from the state of our society today, and if we look at politics or you know, some of the social issues we face, people don't know who they are, and that makes problems. Um, but I, So I think it's important to remind ourselves who we are. Um, and the, the place that I'm going to look today for that kind of reminder is the book of 1 Peter, which was written uh, when Peter was quite an old man, so several decades into his ministry when he had travelled around to some of the kind of Gentile areas. And he's writing to um, the Gentile churches of Asia Minor, so what, what's now modern-day Turkey. Um, and these were people who... Were, were facing great persecution. Life was not easy for them. Um, but there was a sense that if they understood who they were in God, they could face anything because actually they understood that what happens in this life is not the most important thing. God's gift to us in Jesus is our salvation and it's this new life that he promises us. But part of that is an assurance and a certainty about who we are that means that we don't have to live as the world lives. I love this, this passage. This, I've, I've taken most of it from the NIV, but I just picked this out from the message because I thought it, it, was, it, 
it conveyed it really well. Your new life is not like your old life. Your old birth came from mortal sperm. Your new birth comes from God's living word. Just think, a life conceived by God himself. He conceived our life for us. He designed our identity and he gives it to us as a gift. And so often we can get wound up in trying to create our own identity when God has already designed a perfect one for us. Um, and there's a simplicity to that identity. There's a, there's a purity to it that we can always fall back on. So why is it important that I know who I am? What, why, why does it matter? Because who I believe I am determines what my motives are, what drives me to do different things. It determines what my actions are, and it determines my responses to other people. Um, and that's important because we're here for purpose. We're here to, to spread the gospel, to be kingdom on this earth. We're not here to just get through, but we can be very easily distracted from that purpose. And I'm going to look later at some of the effects of not understanding our identity. Um, but a, a, a current example of that, I think, is to look at our politics at the moment. We're in a bit of a, a pickle, and there's quite a kind of volatile atmosphere, isn't there, around politics. If you've got a view and you share it, you can expect to get a, a rather epic response back from the world at large. Um, and can I just be clear, I'm not saying it's wrong to have political views. I think it's absolutely right that we see causes and we think, yes, this is, I need to fight for this. This is right. This is righteousness. But if those causes become the thing that defines us and causes us to act, then we're, we're trying to overwrite the identity that God has given us. Um, I, I want to share a, a passage with you from a book written by C.S. Lewis. You, you, some of you have probably read The Screwtape Letters. Um, it's one of my favourites. But for those who haven't read it, the premise of the book is that uh, a kind of a senior devil, um, it, it's fictional, um, called Screwtape, is writing to his nephew, who's like a junior devil, and he's trying to teach him how to best uh, undermine a new Christian's uh, relationship with God, how to draw him away from church, how to draw him away from relationship with God and distract him with other things. Um, and I read this recently and I thought, wow, this is so prescient, like this is so um, important for us to take on now in this political moment. Um, it was written in 1942, um, so this is what it says. This is Screwtape, the kind of senior devil writing to the younger one. I had not forgotten my promise to consider whether we should make the patient an extreme patriot or an extreme patriot, uh, sorry, an extreme pacifist. All extremes, except extreme devotion to the enemy, it, in this context, the enemy is God, um, are to be encouraged. Not always, of course, but at this period. Some ages are lukewarm and complacent, and then it is our business to soothe them yet faster asleep. Other ages, of which the present is one, are unbalanced and prone to faction, and it is our business to inflame them. Any small coterie or group, bound together by some interest which other men dislike or ignore, tends to develop inside itself a hot house of mutual admiration, and towards the outer world a great deal of pride and hatred, which is entertained without shame because the cause is its sponsor, and it is thought to be impersonal. So this idea that the cause is the most important thing, and anything is justified by this cause. 
And I think we can get distracted by some of these causes. Um, and I don't know if any of you have come across uh, Mark Sayers, who's kind of a current uh, Christian commentator, and he, he's kind of, he writes a lot about the world around us um, now and the kind of social structures and why we are where we are. And he refers to them as giant ideological idols, or the kind of ideas and frameworks that you must adopt if you belong to this group. And I, I'm just really struck that actually that isn't, that isn't compatible with our identity in Christ. Um, and an example from my own experience that kind of got me started thinking about this was a few months ago, I think it was John was speaking, and he asked us to pray for our um, current uh, prime minister um, because we were looking in, in a bit of a pickle, less of a pickle than we are now, but still... Um, and I, my, my reaction, my internal reaction was not, not, yes, this is right, this is the right thing to do, this is what God tells us to do to pray for our leaders. My response was, I'm not praying for them. Um, why would I pray for them? And then my, my secondary thoughts were, what would my friends think if they knew that I was praying for this individual that we're supposed to all hate? So apologies, you know, if, if that's not your political view, but... That, that was my response, and I was absolutely shocked. I don't want that to be my response. I don't want to be ruled by the voices that I hear around me telling me that this is how I have to think, this is who I am. I want my choices and my instincts to be ruled by an underlying identity founded on my salvation. I want my response to be one of grace. I want my response to be Jesus coming out of me. Um, now... Peter, um, <clears throat> Peter frames the identity of these Gentile Christians he's addressing as a gift from God. And what he does in his language and the, 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 the Old Testament he references in the letter is he draws these Gentiles into the heritage of, of God's people. Um, and he says, you're, you're part of this. You're not... You're not separate anymore. You're part of this heritage. You have an identity. And he talks about how they're redeemed from the, the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors with the precious blood of Christ. And I think that's true for us. We're redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to us. We don't have to choose the thing that comes naturally from our parents or from the media or from our friends or from our past experiences. We've been redeemed from that. And a picture that I had to kind of think about the identity that God gifts to us is that rather than, if you, if you want to think about it like a, a fruit bowl, so maybe in worldly terms we think about our identity as this bowl and it's full of all different things, so maybe we've got like an apple in there and that's our kind of, um, our past experiences and maybe there's a pear and that's our political views and maybe there's a banana and that's I don't know, our health situation. And all of these different aspects of our life make up our identity. But actually, the identity that God gives us supersedes all that. It's, it's a completely different thing. It's a, it's a certainty that we don't... It's not saying, okay, we put, another, we put a pineapple in the bowl and that's our identity in Christ. No, we're not a fruit bowl at all. We're a tree. We're a fruitful tree. We're, we're, we, because we are, we produce fruit. We don't have to try and draw fruit in from different places to define ourselves. So this letter that Peter writes is, um, 
is helping them see how all other circumstances, everything else they might face, pales into insignificance when we understand who we are. We can face anything if we know our identity in Christ. So what's so special about this identity? Why is it so different? I'm going to give you a few examples that I found in the book that really helped me to see a different way that we can live. So the world's view of identity, my history defines me, or maybe I can reinvent myself. So there's this sense that we carry with us the things that have happened to us in the past and that actually no matter how much we try and escape them, they'd always catch up with us. I remember when I went to university, um, people said to me, oh, it's great going to university. You can start over again. You can be a new person. Now, at school, I was quite a shy person. I, I, I didn't massively enjoy school. It wasn't very nice. So part of me thought, okay, yeah, that'd be great. I can, you know, almost, I can start from scratch. I can choose. But that didn't ring true for me because actually I, I knew I had an identity in Christ. So the idea of making ourselves again doesn't, is pointless because we are who we are. Christ has bought us with his blood. And the, the identity that comes from that is that we have a completely fresh start and actually we can boast in the transformation that God has made. Our past becomes part of our story and part of the victory that God has brought in our lives. Rather than trying to hide who we used to be, it becomes part of our testimony of his great mercy. Um, it says we've got new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. <clears throat> and so we don't need to worry about the past because it's not part of our identity now, but it is part of our testimony of what God's done. Um, so I talked a little bit about how you know we want to be exclusive, we want to be unique but also belong to this kind of tribe um, and particularly at the moment there's this idea that if someone doesn't agree with us we can write them off so maybe they disagree with us on I don't know gender politics or environmentalism and because they think differently from us we can say oh well they're just they're not my kind of person I don't like them I'm not going to bother with anything they have to say because they're a bad person and I don't know if you are a social media user, but it's just everywhere, isn't it? You know, you're, you're an idiot because you think this, and I'm rejecting you. Um, but God's identity invites me into this heritage of God's promise. It's not exclusive. It's not about my tribe over here. God's, God's um, heritage is available for absolutely everyone, and we're instructed to share it freely and give it out at every possible opportunity. Um, and I think it's the antidote to this tribalism we're seeing. I think it's the, the kind of victory over this idea that we are so divided that we can't come to compromise and we can't relate to one another. Actually, we can relate to one another, even though we have different views, because the thing that binds us together is much more important than the things that separate us if we understand who we are in Christ. Um, and I love that in this church, we can have diverse political views. We can disagree with each other, and that's okay, because, that, because we know who we are. Um, my choices are sacred. I do what's right for me. As long as it's not hurting anyone else, no one else can have a say. And that idea is kind of very prevalent in our society, isn't it? That actually, what I think about my life is more important than anything else. Um, 
but that, I think, leads us to being lonely. We, we can't relate to other people because actually we're only thinking about ourselves. But God said that we, don't, we didn't choose him to be part of our identity. He chose us. He, he, took the, he took that choice first so that we could respond. And as we take that choice, it forces us into a family who will love us with our flaws but also challenge us as we work towards the same goal. And, it, and, and the book of 1 Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You know, we're pulled together, our kind of right to our own, um, you know, this is me over here and I'm doing my thing, is lost when we submit to Christ. Um, there are so many voices and choices in my life and, and that leaves me conflicted and confused. And I think this is the picture that came to me when I had that moment when we were supposed to be praying for this politician. Um, which part of my identity leads me to decide? In, in a situation where I have to choose one or the other, how do I know which one is the right one? So this, this is not necessarily me, this is a person. And maybe part of their identity is a Christian. They've grown up with Christian values. They have grown up in church. They know all of the kind of rituals and traditions. But maybe they're also a feminist. What do you, maybe they believe that women should have equal rights to men and can do just as well. So should this person s- submit to their husband? What should they do? Maybe they're an environmentalist. Maybe they think, maybe they're, they're buying bamboo toothbrushes and they're cutting back on plastic. But actually, maybe they're on a really tight family budget. Maybe, the, maybe it's much cheaper to go to Audi than it is to go to an organic food store. So how do I make that decision? Do I go to Audi because that's what we can afford? Or do I go to an organic food store and we eat two potatoes this week? Like how do we decide which of those identities is the one that should make the decision? Maybe they're quite liberal. Maybe they think, actually, yeah, let's have... Let's have open borders on this country. Let's, let's let people be as they are and let's accept everyone. Maybe they're also pro-life. Maybe they believe in the, the rights of a child. So when the question of abortion comes up, how do they decide? And I think there's a number of times I've found myself in this position a bit torn. Like, well, the things that I know from this side say I should react like this, but the things I know from this side say I should react like that. But actually, I believe God's identity gives me assurance and certainty. In the message, um, 1 Peter 2.25 says, You were lost sheep with no idea who you were or where you were going. Now you're named and kept for good by the shepherd of your souls. There's something deeper than these bits of fruit that I'm seeing around my life that defines who I am. I'm a tree. I'm rooted in Christ. So I believe that my identity can define how I respond. That actually Christ's life in me allows me to respond in a righteous way and that's what I want to come out of me not a confused kind of bumbled answer because I'm not sure where it's coming from but a sureness that I can take from knowing who I am in Christ and we're also given the Holy Spirit as a source of help in that and and we can respond to his nudges and know that that is that is our identity coming out because we are we are children of God um, so if we're, if we're this fruit bowl of identities, then when something goes wrong, 
Maybe I feel shaken and devastated when life didn't go as I'd planned. My faith is shaken. There can be a feeling of worthlessness. Maybe, maybe you've lost your job. Or the things you've hoped for in life don't happen. Maybe you get sick and actually it changes your whole life and your whole, the whole way you do things in the day. And actually it makes you feel like you don't have value anymore because you used to work and be really useful and now you're not doing anything. But actually we can be secure when we face difficulty. And, and in the book of 1 Peter, he talks about how the trials are actually part of proving that faith we have in God, that understanding of who we are. And it describes it as of, of greater worth than gold. So even though we go through fire, even though we go through difficult things, what we want is for that to result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean we feel sad, that we have emotions, that actually we have to, to work through those things. But the core of us, the thing that knows for certain that we've been bought by Christ's blood, that we know we're safe and that we can rely on him in all things, isn't shaken. So maybe everything out here is. Maybe we look a bit like this guy, but internally we know who we are. The world's view of identity makes us defensive. I've got to stand up for myself. And I had an experience of this recently. I was preparing something for um, church. Um, and I got loads of text messages from people like, oh, have you done this? What are you going to say about this? Have you prepared properly? And my reaction was, leave me alone. Don't you trust me? Like, <laughs> what are you saying? You're saying I'm not going to do something that's quality. And I was really defensive. And I realized I was standing up for myself because I, didn't, I wasn't living in that identity that actually, it doesn't matter if you question me. It doesn't matter if you think what I have to say is rubbish because I trust God in all things. I know him and I know my identity. We don't have to be defensive and, and Jesus was the ultimate um, picture for us in how he behaved. And Peter says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And that's what we can do. When, when people say horrible things to us or we feel attacked, we don't have to defend ourselves. God's defending us. We know who we are. Nothing's going to shake that tree because it's firmly rooted. And then the last one, I have to make myself valuable. And that's, that's the biggest lie I think the world sells us. I can make myself valuable. If I achieve, if I've got lots of stuff, if people think well of me, then that makes me valuable. And I think that's, what, that's the one that probably most of us fall over so often. But actually, I'm inherently valuable because I was bought by Jesus' sacrifice. That's what makes me valuable. Um, I was talking to the youth last week. They were doing identity, which was quite funny. Um, but I was talking to them about a tiny time in my life when I kind of realised maybe, maybe I'll never work again. And actually, that that threw me and made me feel very insecure and very low, and very like, well, then what's the point of living if I if I never do anything useful? And God really showed me this thing. I'm inherently valuable. If I don't do another day's work in my life, if I achieve nothing else, I'm still just as valuable to him. 
And actually, that's such a freeing revelation. Because then the things I do do don't come with so much of this attached. They don't come with so much, well, I've got to achieve, I've got to prove myself. Because I know who I am. So anything I do achieve or, or, or you know, anything I do get in life, I can see as a gift from him rather than something that's mine by right and that I have to take and hold on to. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love that. We're God's special possession, and that's where our, that's where our value comes from. So how do we live in this identity? I believe it's a constant struggle. I said at the beginning that the enemy wants us to believe differently to what God wants us to believe. He wants us to think that we're defined by those things in our fruit bowl and that we're not trees, that actually we need to decide whether it's the banana that's going to have the, the uh, <clears throat> say in today's decision. Um, and I think accepting this identity involves trusting God, submitting to his judgment. It's a gift from him. Um, in our house at the moment, it's birthday season. Um, and my three-year-old has just come across the idea of a birthday list. So it's getting quite lengthy now. But it struck me that actually she's got her idea in her head of these things that she wants. She wants an Elsa dress. She wants a football. But actually, how much greater is the joy when she sees the gift that me and my husband have chosen for her because we know her so well. We know what she needs and what she will love. And actually, I'm so looking forward to seeing her face as we give her the gift that we've chosen for her because actually she, she can trust us to give her good gift. And it's the same with God. We have this, this idea of what we want life to be like, what, who we want to be, how we want people to see us. And we think, yeah, okay, that's what I'd like, God. I'd like to have this job and I'd like to be at this point in my life by now, and I'd like this holiday. But actually, God's given us a far greater gift, that assurance and that certainty, and we need to trust him in that. Um, and to recognize the cost. This gift that he's given us was bought at a price. Um, verses 18 to 19 say, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defects. Jesus gave himself for us so that we could live like this. So if we have submitted to him, we've really got to get, get ourselves in line with this identity. We've really got to seek him for the help to live this way. But we also need to, and part of that is making a choice. And Peter commands, command, he, tell, he tells the, um, these churches that they've got to remain as foreigners. They've got to live out their time here in reverent fear. Don't get sucked into letting the world determine your identity. There's going to be, throughout the book it describes all of the kind of conflicts that they have with the people around them, the, the bad things people say about them. And he's saying, don't get sucked into that. Be careful what you listen to and what voices you give authority to. And I think here are some of the choices that we can make towards getting there. And I think it really links to what Daniel shared last week. Choose what you take in. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. 
There's so much temptation to look elsewhere and to take other things in. Um, I saw a parenting article that a good friend of mine posted on Facebook the other day, and it all, all looked good, and I read it, and it was all about what was wrong with um, parenting today and the things that we must change if we're going to get anywhere. And I read this article, I thought, well, it's good. And then as I went through the next few days, I realised that it sat heavy on me, and what it made me think was, oh, you're failing. Oh, there you go, you failed again. Oh, you've, been, you've done some bad parenting there. You must listen to that article. And at that point, I realised I've taken something in that is not feeding me, it's not feeding my true identity, it's feeding something else. And at that point, I took authority and I said, no, okay, I reject that then. I'm not going not gonna to listen to that. So I guess what I'm trying to say is even if you take stuff in almost without thinking or sometimes without control, that actually you can take authority if it's already crept in, if you're already feeling like, oh, this is making, this is making me question who I am, you can say, no, I, I don't take that in. And actually, when I asked God, that lifted, and I haven't thought about it since. And I just think there's power in, in taking that authority because it really matters what we take in. One of his main instructions is to love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. If we love each other as Christ loved us, we'll get a long way. He instructs them to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reasons that you, to the hope that you have. And I think that's about getting, getting into the word. Like um, Jeremy was talking about a couple of weeks ago. If we know the word of God, then we have those answers on the tip of our tongue. And we don't get confused and muddled when people ask us, oh, what do you think about this particularly contentious topic? Actually, we can say what, what we're prompted to say by the Holy Spirit without shame and without a feeling of fear. And that's something that I really want to see happen for me, that I can have that certain response without worrying about how it's going to be perceived. He tells us, he tells the um, churches to arm themselves with the attitude of Christ. And there's that sense of taking up arms there. It's not just something that's going to happen. You've got to, you've got to choose that. You've got to remember who you are daily and remember that attitude of Christ. And finally, the, the question that's really helped me over the last little while is remembering back to a, a teaching that Jamie did a few years ago. And it was about asking yourself the simple question when you're in those situations and you don't know how to respond. What pleases him? When all else fails, when, you, when you, your reaction is sour or you are confused, actually, what pleases God? And usually I find that a very clear answer comes to me because I know who I am. There will always be a battle for our identity, but the gift that God has given us is a promise it's there. If we, even if we don't feel it, even if we feel like I'm shaken and I don't know it and all of this stuff sounds good, but actually I feel, I feel different to that. I feel like uncertain. Actually, if we've submitted to Christ, it's a promise. It's who we are. So now it's just about finding out how to live in it and making those choices that enable us to do that. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. 
We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.